What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to the 89th chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, a crossover with a Trash Future podcast. This is the United Kingdom Independent Party episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakotansky, Riley Quinn, Milo Edwards, Alice Goldwell-Kelly, Julian Field, and Travis View. Our friends over at Trash Future have happened upon some history, a little bit of a of a background on this awful party that is the UKIP party, a far-right party filled with uh, conspiracy loons involving people like Paul Joseph Watson, Count Dankula, and even Sargon of Akkad. What brings all these weirdos together, and how the hell are they a political force at all in the UK? A lot of this is going to be answered by our friends over at Trash Future, and so this is a very special UK episode, and for dessert, you're going to have a Jake story involving everybody. QAnon News. Uh, first up, I have the, the Twitter account for Dylan Wheeler, a.k.a. Education for Libs, has been suspended. It looks like this is a permanent suspension, at least he claims so. No. On his, on his Instagram. Let's party! No, say it isn't so. Yeah, our, our beautiful boy. I mean, he had a half a million followers when his, when his account was suspended. You know, it's not, they didn't give a reason why, apparently, but uh, Dylan Wheeler was pushing a lot of anti-vax stuff in recent days. Oh. It seems like Twitter has been cracking down really, really hard on medical misinformation recently, you know, for obvious reasons. But, oh man, RIP. I mean, Dylan, to, you know, pour one out for a real one. Yeah, he was on the Q train early. So this also comes in like in the wake of like the suspension for like Joe M, aka Storm is upon us. Oh, um, so it's been it's been a brutal brutal uh, month or so for uh, the most prominent supporters of QAnon. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, if they're doing some sorting through, maybe just like actually pay attention to our account and realize that we're not like them, and maybe just give us back the ability to. To like reach people, reach people and maybe even a maybe even a <laughs> verification would be nice, seeing as we're uh, nearing thirty thousand. How many check marks do we need to have on the show to have a check mark of our own Twitter, or are check marks just cookies you gave to somebody back in the day that no one else gets? You know, it'd be fucking awesome, actually. Uh, uh, this is uh, just so Travis doesn't have a heart attack. Uh, this is definitely not what's happening. I repeat, this is not a reality. But okay. what would be funny? Is if QAnon was real and it was about and it was about to and it was about to reveal itself and basically it was going and punting off all of the grifters that were making like wouldn't it be amazing if like Q ended up being real but like completely like disassociated from anyone that was like making money or like using him and so all these guys basically it would it was essentially like would be yeah. like rejected by their you know by their crush right <laughs> QAnon QAnon is real but like everyone who believed in QAnon got it wrong so this is just a situation that's just horrible for everyone involved yeah that's all i want travis you know me just a situation that's horrible for everyone for my next story QAnon bleach drinkers celebrate as the president floats injecting disinfectant as a coronavirus cure <laughs> so frequently people who are interested in national politics go through this degrading exercise called what the fuck is the president talking about it's degrading for journalists who have to report on the content of Trump's off-the-cuff riffs. It's degrading for the bootlickers who write for pro-Trump publications like Breitbart who have to write articles defending what Trump said. It's degrading for Trump's own staff. 
and it's degrading precisely because President Trump feels no obligation to speak carefully or coherently, but the rest of us feel an obligation to make sense of what he says. He essentially makes a mess with his rambling words over and over again because he knows that someone else is going to clean it up for him. And he's right, which is perhaps the most degrading part of it all. So the mess that Trump most recently made came during a press conference on April 23rd. Uh, during that conference, Trump referenced a recent Homeland Security study, which found that the coronavirus on surfaces may be killed by humidity and high exposure to UV rays through sunlight. Uh, this is indicated that the outbreak may subside in the coming summer months. Trump then recounted a conversation he had with Coronavirus Task Force Coordinator Dr. Deborah Bricks. And uh, during that conversation, he apparently suggested that maybe UV light could be a viable treatment for the disease. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that has him in check, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. Well, you know what? I doubt that there is a more fitting conclusion to the British Empire than this man, actually. You 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 despair. But I don't think this is out of the ordinary or out of order. This is this is really what we worked for, you know, and she can she can clutch her pearls all she wants about how he got her shit wrong. The truth is she's part of an entire empire that has been building to this moment, and we're all guilty. Uh, the other element of it is that Trump actually just never cares what his advisors say if no. uh, if uh, he does, he's not interested. For example, fa- famously, when he uh, called uh, Vladimir Putin after the uh, yeah. uh, uh, the election there, um, yeah. election in quotes, the, um, the he was instructed in his briefing said, do not congratulate. Big, bold letters. And he did it anyway because he just doesn't give a fuck. He does what he wants. Trump's mention of disinfectant was apparently very exciting for people who promote the diluted bleach miracle mineral solution or MMS as a cure-all. So we talk more about miracle mineral solution, which is really just the bleach chlorine dioxide in episode 77 of the podcast. For example, one person enthused about Trump's remarks was Mark Grennan, who founded the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing. So this is a church dedicated to encouraging people to drink bleach as a cure-all, basically. Uh, Mark Grennan wrote this on the Facebook page just hours after Trump mentioned this. Trump has got the MMS and all of the info. Things are happening, folks. Lord, help others to see the truth. Reporter Ed Pilkington for The Guardian found out actually that just a few days before Trump made his remarks, Mark Grennan wrote to Trump with the false claim that MMS can, quote, rid the body of COVID-19. 
though it's not known if the letter influenced Trump's remarks or if Trump was even aware of it. So at the top of this uh, part, I said that Trump was the logical conclusion to the empire, but this couldn't be more beautiful. Jim Humble literally went abroad to evangelize in Africa and fed Africans bleach, the definition of horrifying colonialism. And then he literally came back home and sold it here. Ah, the chickens, they have come back to roost, my friend, and they finally reveal that I am European. I have one more item, and it's uh, related news. Justice Department issues a temporary injunction to halt the sale of Miracle Mineral Solution online. So a few, a few days before that press conference, Trump's own Justice Department cracked down on the online sale of industrial bleach as a miracle cure. So the complaint specifically targets Mark Grennan and his Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing. Uh, The complaint from the DOJ alleges that the defendant's disease-related treatment claims are unsupported by any (laughs) well-controlled clinical studies or other credible scientific substantiation. (laughs) It's true. Uh, So additionally... The complaint asserts that MMS's labeling is false and misleading and that since uh, defendants make disease-related treatment claims about MMS in the absence of any clinical data, the products are misbranded. FDA Commissioner Stephen M. Hahn said this in a press release. Despite a previous warning, the Genesis 2 Church of Healing has continued to actively place consumers at risk by peddling potentially dangerous and unapproved chlorine dioxide products. QAnon promoter and bleach drinking advocate Jordan Sather uh, framed this as a battle between the FDA and President Trump. Last week, the FDA filed injunctions against people promoting using chlorine dioxide, a disinfectant for coronavirus. Trump and DHS official mentioned testing, quote, disinfectants versus COVID today at Presser. FDA chief immediately runs to CNN to naysay. Interesting power struggle here. Yeah, really interesting how it spiked the amount of people calling into the uh, hotlines for getting poisoned from drinking this stuff. Really, really makes you think there, Jordan. I feel like we're really uh, ahead of the curve on like, you know, uh, talking about uh, bleach as a miracle cure before it made the big time. You know, I feel like if you want to understand the future of American politics, you got to under you got to study the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest parts of it before it gets mainstream. That's right. Yeah, that's so true. That's how I'm always right. You guys, It's because (laughs) I look at the dumbest thing Uh first. That's true. Exactly. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to this free episode of both Trash Future, that podcast you're listening to now, and also QAnon Anonymous. QAnon Anonymous, welcome. And Trash Future, welcome to you guys. (laughs) Welcome to everybody. Thank you. Hello. Good (laughs) young chat at all. Mm. Yeah. In quarantine, everyone is so much more efficient by listening to two podcasts simultaneously. I yeah. love that none of us know yes. each other and that and we're going to be uh, talking through a, a wall where we can't see each other, but we have to get married at the end of this all. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> using yeah, that's using right. the podcasting we're... glory hole for its intended purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never met any of these people, but it's Follow Friday, so <laughs> just thought, hey. <laughs> yeah, we, we were all introduced to one another uh, one Follow Friday a long time <laughs> ago. This is the most like um, British thing is like you start a podcast through a kind of comedy of errors where you're too embarrassed not to. <laughs> Remember when Jesus was up on the cross and he turned to the centurion and said, "Well, oh, I don't see what's very follow about this Friday." <laughs> oh, that's right. On that's our right. side, we have. He did say that. We have uh, Jake Rockatansky. What's up, Jake? Oh, hey, how's it going? Travis View, the the Q specialist, the more serious one of of our gang. That's, I suppose, yeah, that's become my shtick. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we'll we'll wake up a little bit. It's it's early here yet. Yeah, over yeah. In, Shut over the fuck America. up, Jake. <laughs> Shut I, the fuck uh, up. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I I woke up at about 8 a.m. Set up all my equipment and then went back to sleep like a child who wanted to sneak in a couple more minutes before their parents knocked on their door telling him it was time to go to school. So wait, who's the parent in this situation? Well, Is it's it you, Julie? surely. It's uh, Julian. No, it's Julian's me. always Julian's dad, mom, and drunk uncle rolled up into one. I'm the wine mom, and then yeah. the dad is Travis. So Travis called me at 9 a.m. and it woke me up. Uh, that's because, true. That's right. That's true. Because I had I one him. too many last night, like literally. So he is yeah, the dad. I I'm can, the mom, <laughs> and Jake is the child. So I was up and ready though, just for the up. record. I and I didn't drink last <laughs> night. Good job. <laughs> nice. Um. So we have we have the the three unit family QAnon Anonymous. Uh, Jake, Julian, and Travis here. And we also have uh, myself, Riley, uh, Milo, and Alice all in our sunny, sunny, undisclosed locations around the British Isles. Mm -hmm. However, speaking of the British Isles, we are here today to talk about the evolution of UKIP into something, from something very strange and fractious and conspiracy-laden into something very strange, fractious, and conspiracy. Yeah, like. we're, we're looking at like one of those weird fish things that like gasps up onto land, and they only instead <laughs> of like turning into a man, it just kind of like stays on the beach, just staying weird, just like so, one foot yeah. sprouting out of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, to a little bit of background for American listeners, UKIP is a British political party called the United Kingdom Independence Party. Its whole main raison d'etre <laughs> well, the United was Kingdom the, get independence. We're united the, and well, independent from each other. <laughs> was yeah. the securing of Brexit, basically. That was all it was designed right, to do. Right, right. Uh, and then, having done it, it has imploded in a very funny way. Hmm. So what mm. we're going to do is we're going to go through all of the history of how this thing started and how it got to where it is now. But first, I'm going to read a quotation about UKIP from someone inside the party. All I can say is that, I is that it has been inundated for a long time from people within UKIP and outside, from all parties and from none, saying that we need a new party. There is clearly a huge demand across the country, across people's background and ages, and indeed across the old parties for something fresh and new which will represent them and Britain's interests. Now, given what I've just told you, can you guess what year that was said? Like this one. <laughs> Two weeks uh, ago. Yeah. Uh -huh. it, it sounds like something Donald Trump would say. <laughs> Oops, we're going we're gonna to have a new party. People are saying uh, so, it up and down the nation. They're all saying it. They agree. I was... Uh, just discussing this with someone else, how the people are saying are literally two groups of people. It's the uh, uh, Fox like morning crew and the people at his Mar-a-Lago party. So imagine mm. the yeah. types mm. of idiots that are just the telling him things. It's so good. Yeah. No. So these words were actually spoken in 2005 about the UKIP. <laughs> <laughs> so they've been like this forever. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yes. By a man named Robert Kilroy Silk, a daytime yes. TV host yes. and former MP, <laughs> and the erstwhile big beast of the party yeah. before Nigel yeah, Farage. Robert Kilroy Silk fascinates me, right? Because he's basically like an unsuccessful Trump. His moment came too early. Mm. He literally was like this. He was a politics guy who got badly disaffected by like things not being about him. And he just did a daytime TV show for like 20 years and got more and more spray tan and made yeah. <laughs> horrible television and de then decided, oh, I'm going to get into right-wing politics and it never worked out for him. And that's a powerful thing to me. 
Well, for American listeners, uh, re-Robert Kilroy Silk, you know the bit in Bridget Jones's diary where her mum runs off with the guy from, like, the shopping channel? That is who Robert Kilroy Silk is. <laughs> nice. You're probably speaking to the only three Americans who haven't watched that movie. I mean, unless Jake did. <laughs> but yeah, sure. Wait, which yes. movie? So, Bridget Jones's Bridget diary. Jones diary. The, the only I've good British yeah, I've film. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen the sequel, too. Okay, all right. Nice. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen everything. I'll tell you whatever you want. But the story we're going to tell today is of this weird and fractious group of right-wing psychos who won their greatest ambition by completely by accident, riding a moment of history they had nothing to do with, and then ending up tearing themselves to pieces in the process. So uh, how we're going to do this is I have created and disseminated a timeline amongst everyone here. Mm. And so we are going to, starting with the history of the European Union, we are going to figure out exactly how we got to the point of um, them all suing each other and trying to get each other arrested, which is happening now. That rules. Mm. Well, what do you, what do you, they're actually, they're doing what they normally do, which is glassing each other outside of pubs, but like in the public, in the kind of uh, political arena, that's all. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. That's it's right. the end of the night. And so, yeah, you're punching your friend tomorrow. You'll be, it's, you'll be it's friends outside, again. It's outside an all bar one. And all of these guys are wearing very, very shiny shoes and just like scuffling mutely with each mm. other. It's beautiful. Yeah, that, <laughs> no, all, bar, all bar one is too aspirational a crowd for the UK plot. They'd be outside like a Samuel Smith's beer house. Ooh, yeah, Yates's right. wine lodge. Well, no, here's the thing, right? A, they'd be outside a carvery. B, we've talked about this character before on Trash Future as a member of the Bridge End Secret Service. Yes. Which is just a guy from a provincial English town who's made like quite a bit of money doing something you don't quite know what and he always has a younger girlfriend in a used jaguar and is always telling you she was an ex-model yeah, he's, he's the british <laughs> version of the like jet ski dealership trump psycho right he runs he has like a warehouse full of aftermarket car parts and is like mm. doing quite well but is also has been driven absolutely insane that's right. By, but by being a small business owner. Mm -hmm. And this is a party of people who have been driven insane by being small business owners. And we're going to go through the history. So uh, a brief history of the EU to understand where, we, where we're coming from. Uh, in 1956, the European Coal and Steel Community was formed. And this had a couple of intentions. They were mm -hmm. going to... It was to stop the sort of constant bellicosity in the European continent by integrating the war industries of France and Germany. So basically, there was no such thing as a German coal or steel miner company. There was um, uh, one company that would be both, okay. for example. So it would make them very hard to go to war. The French finally teaching the Germans what they can do with all that excess coal dust. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What? Why would I put this on my face? I, I like what? to burn it and make like power. For what purpose? Now, the, the steel, coal and steel community was supposed to not just like integrate these industries, but make very very difficult to like have these countries fight each other, and basically as a kind of guarantee of liberalism on the European continent. Now we can say, obviously, how did that go? Well, um, the EU now is um, glad-handing like right-wing dictators like Viktor Orban and Matteo Salvini. Mm -hmm. So um, they kind of sacrificed their uh, chance to guarantee liberalism on the European yeah, continent like, in exchange for fiscal the, the, they keep They keep making this argument, European Federalists, that like, well, it's okay that we're like killing migrants by the boatload in the Mediterranean because that's external. Internally, we can keep these kind of liberal values and you wouldn't want to do Putinism instead, right? And meanwhile, inside the EU, Viktor Orban just kind of makes being trans illegal and the EU's like, huh, well, you, it's not very good that you do that. 
These days yeah. in Hungary, you say you're trans. <laughs> yeah, you get locked up and thrown yeah. in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I love Jesus the Guardian Christ. establishing a new office in Budapest. <laughs> um, but so we're gonna get through. We're gonna get through a little more of this uh, of this history, and then we'll sort of we'll see where Euroscepticism comes from. So in 1967, the Brussels Treaty is signed, which creates the European Economic Community, which is the basis for the European Union now. So these this creates sort of the the idea of like common external tariffs, common like um, the roots of free movement are are set inside the uh, the inside the countries. That doesn't come till later, but still, um, and we get this idea of economic cooperation everywhere. And this is the roots of Euroscepticism are so somewhere someone is uh, just starting to form the spermatozoa that will that will be Emmanuel Macron, uh, just getting turned <laughs> on by, <laughs> exactly. by this very this is, moment. Yeah. This is a very evolutionary episode we're doing here. We're just like we're playing. We're all playing spore together, and we're watching what kind of like things. So how many how many legs can sprout out of somebody's head uh, before they go extinct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the new conspiracy theory is that Mario Draghi has like nine different legs. He's not showing the people. <laughs> Show us the yeah. legs. Um, all in his freezer. So uh, basically, there are two kinds of Euroscepticism in the UK that come about in response to the Treaty on, on European, uh, the Brussels Treaty, because the UK joins laterally. So there's, there's, there's Powellite Euroscepticism based on Enoch Powell, which is the kind of Euroscepticism that's alive today. There are too many migrants, they're taking the jobs, good jobs for British people. Um, your classic racism, the rivers of blood speech. Mm. Um, and there's Benite Euroscepticism, which is named after Tony Benn. Which is saying, well, look, the com what the common market actually is, is a way for capital to have immense power over labor. It's a capitalist institution. What it's going to do is completely smash any kind of workers' movement by either rendering it sclerotic and dependent on European-level handouts, or um, uh, 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 allow capital to go on strike very easily. By the way, Tony Benn was proven right. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, what we get... I, what I do you like, mean? Eh, Gr like, Greece, Greece, where people used to live the longest, has been just squeezed into like a fucking lemon, just just pulverized under a boot. What do you mean we're not doing well over there? Yeah, listen. If if you don't like being condescended to by Professor Doctor Thesis, uh, like fucking austerity fund thesis plagiarism, then what even is the point of being in the European yeah. Union? <laughs> I'm sorry, your island had a, a people living until ninety seven. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you're actually in debt now. We're gonna need you to tighten your belt. Mm. Mm. The, yeah. the EU really is the, like, the epitome of, of the intersectional landlord, isn't it? <laughs> well, the Greeks were fine until there was no money in throwing donkeys off of church roofs anymore, and that's when it already <laughs> went downhill. <laughs> yeah, so Margaret Thatcher makes something called her Bruges speech in the late 80s in response to something called Social Europe, which is the European Union that aims to accommodate a Benite kind of Eurosceptic, by trying to implement a lot of that cultural liberalism that we talked about earlier that they've utterly compromised on, uh, as well as um, guarantees for, if not, say, trade union power, then workers' rights that could be taken away by the commission, and so on and so on. They're going to have now, a social again, Europe, and now we're stuck here in fucking Bruges. <laughs> <laughs> so Thatcher makes a speech that essentially the European Union must not be allowed to sneak in the big state through the back door and undoing all of her reforms. And it's the Bruges speech that creates the modern Eurosceptic movement in the UK. So the Benite strand of Euroscepticism never really takes hold as a popular, um, 
as a popular force. I mean, it's got its holdouts, like sort of like people like Dennis Skinner uh, and various different movements, but it never becomes a political force like Powellite. No, that's, right that's wing the reason. Did. That's the reason why the Lexit people and the referendum were all in like uh, small kind of uh, fringe parties instead of yeah. the yeah. Uh, the larger fringe parties like UKIP. Yeah, this, this rules because it means that you based uh, your entire civilization on someone who was profoundly wrong, a bit like the Fukuyama end of history thing. And then he's just like, years later, he's like, oh, yeah, Marx was actually kind of had some good ideas. And like, everyone's mm. like, shut up, Fukuyama, go to bed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, what we get to next, and this is where we, we have the birth of UKIP, is the Maastricht Treaty, which creates the single market. And here's where we then get freedom of movement. We get the beginnings of the euro. It doesn't get implemented till later. But we have the European exchange rate mechanism, which leads to a crisis and a run on the pound, um, the stability and growth pact. And we have much more interference in domestic fiscal policy. And this leads to the growth of not just Eurosceptic opinion, but Eurosceptic uh, political parties running in the UK. And I mean, also, this, this, includes- is, this is the thing, right? It, because a lot of the financial policy is quite boring. The, the way that Euroscepticism sort of gets fueled is by scare stories in the press about how the EU is going to ban curvy bananas and saying you're English. Uh, and funnily yes. enough, uh, one, yeah, funnily enough, one key uh, one key figure in this is the then Daily Telegraph's uh, Brussels correspondent, one Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah, we did mm, an episode right. where Annie Kelly explained these curvy bananas to us and his whole history and how he be, he was just basically a lovable clown who just. Uh, uh, a bit like Trump, you know, uh, just a transitioned act. Mm. Yeah. So mm. what we get is the early Eurosceptic movement is relatively academic. It's based around of LSE, and it's led by this guy called Alan Sked, who is an academic. Um, and oh, Sked, he started Sked motherfucker. UKIP. <laughs> he started the UKIP in opposition to Maastricht in 93, and then they started standing candidates in 97. But he wasn't the only Eurosceptic party. There was also James Goldsmith's referendum party that was like overtly white supremacist, allegedly. Wasn't wasn't um, Alan Sked like a Benite Eurosceptic though? Because I remember hearing I knew yeah. some people at LSE who knew him, and they were like, Alan Sked is like terminally embarrassed that he started UKIP because people keep bringing it up to him, and he's like, I know, I've left, <laughs> I've left Sked marks. Well, well, that's just it because he started it as. He started it Running as a scared. professorial problem with Maastricht, which pointed out some real problems with Maastricht. Um, and then, very quickly, he resigned from the leadership after 97 in protest at, quote, and this is going to become a theme, you kept attracting members who are racist and have been infected by the far right, warning that it was a doomed project. <laughs> huh. <laughs> right like Dr. Doctor, Doctor Frankenstein, yeah, being like, hmm, my, my, my experiment <laughs> to, like, uh, determine whether or not I can reanimate a person appears to have been, uh, like, yeah. fatally compromised by the fact that it's made of murder parts. Mm. There's only, there's got to be one dumbass who was in those Manhattan Project meetings who later felt like this. Yeah. <laughs> I thought what we were making was going to be the bomb, not the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so what I find really interesting about this, right, is that um, the whole idea of opposition to to the EU, which has like left wing roots. And which even th- has left-wing roots to the point that the guy who started UKIP would have very little in common with Farage, has largely just been overtaken by the fact that it's much easier to galvanize people to support right-wing policies, if you're like the Telegraph or whatever, um, if you can blame it on so- some cultural shit with the European Union, like they're going to, you know, 
turn the continent into a caliphate or whatever, and just ignores the very real problem. It's, it's very weird how, uh, for some reason, this keeps happening, that you have this kind of neoliberal institution, and for some reason, all of the criticisms of it that preserve capital have an easier time. Uh, and so you just end up with this kind of like uh, fascist or nativist or nationalist uh, assault on this this institution that was never that great to start with. And meanwhile, you're just over here on the other side, like, yeah, but if you'd listen to us, and, and it kind of like you can't be like that because it was always going to be this way. Because it was there was always going to be this kind of this um uh, this this structural interest in the favor of of capital. Yeah, mm. and so basically. It's in the 2000s that UKIP begins to become what we would recognize it as today. Uh, because it wasn't very major in the 1990s. The referendum party was the Euros big Eurosceptic party in the 90s. And that's the one that was like, ah, Brussels is going to make it, they're going to force you to wear blackface, but not because you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to make you wear gay blackface. Yeah, I love the idea of naming a party the referendum party. Is they're like, we're just the pro-voting party, the elections party. Mm. Vote for us. We'll have more of it. Well, democratic us. party. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's right. So in the early 2000s, the man to watch in UKIP was not Nigel Farage. It was Kilroy Silk, who then challenged <laughs> the leader. Wait, 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 wait. There's a guy in your country yeah. called Kilroy Silk? Can we Robert Kilroy Silk was yeah, the he guy. Was, yeah, you missed this part. <laughs> Jesus, man, even I've been no, paying I attention. I know. I I'm sorry. I had to do a, a, a thing for one moment. I'm My favorite detail about Robert Kilroy Silk is that he hosted what was briefly called the worst game show on British television, where it was called Share or Shaft. And you had like two <laughs> contestants. Oh, yeah. who had to, we have to put this in as a drop somehow, because I don't have it on me presently. But we have to have this where he would like. Uh, it was like you could steal money out of like two contestants, and he would ask them whether they wanted to share with like a hand gesture indicating oh. sharing, or shaft with a like finger in like hand hole kind of gesture to indicate shafting. Mm. <laughs> yeah, my favorite, my favorite was his uh, his show Kilroy, which was like a kind of version of Jerry Springer but hosted by a, a, a madman. Um, where he would get the audience to stand up and like voice their opinions about what was going on on stage, and he would just steal their seat. And when they went to sit back down, would refuse to get out of it. <laughs> so you just have him talking to camera from a seat in the audience with like a, an angry woman called Maureen, just kind of awkwardly standing next to him. <laughs> Once again, a Trump guy, absolutely a Trump guy. This guy was the big beast of UKIP um, uh, uh, in the early two thousands. And here's the interesting thing. In 1975, he wrote an article for the Times, before the Times was what it is now, said that politics was, quote, not about compromises and bargains or hankering after spurious consensus, and that the function of a labor government was creative, to cast as far as it is able society in its image, and that socialists should not be worried about being accused of using dictatorial powers and must go forward with a tint of arrogance. So he was not a, he was a labor guy who was not a, like, centrist reformist. He was a quite full-throated, if not socialist, and at least an ambitious labor politician who was not there to compromise with the Tories. Although he did famously hate Jeremy Corbyn, 
reportedly grabbing him by the lapels and nearly decking him in Portcullis House in the 1980s. Yeah, I mean, he he said he did the most Bridge End Secret Service line in an interview that I read about this, where he had this scuffle with Corbin, was that he said, I didn't hit him because if I'd hit him, he would have stayed down. And it's like, yeah, okay, dude, cool. <laughs> That's right. People, he was lucky I'm too strong. Yeah, my kid's here, I'm on parole. I was gonna say, is that like a thinly veiled joke for him, like, murdering Corbin? Like, he's like, yeah, if I would have hit him, he would have stayed down forever. And by and that's right. Yeah. By that I yeah. mean I killed him. <laughs> also, saying saying you could deck Jeremy Corbyn is like not the brag you think it is. <laughs> yeah, I could kick the shit out of this nice pacifist. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, he doesn't even have like uh, like a cartoonist like Ben Garrison to to like fake draw his like twenty five year old like muscular body or whatever. Imagine if Kilroy Silk had been born f- just a little bit later. He cur- <laughs> he would be prime minister. Yeah. So that's my question, right? Is how did he go from this class warrior, right, mm-hmm. to game show to uh, like uh, UK? Well, he melted after Thatcher, basically. Uh, I mean, like, I think a lot, a, a lot of people like responded to the 1980s differently, especially in labor. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you were because in the 1970s and 60s, you had this really strong labor movement that was behind you, so you could be the political voice of that movement. You could be combative. after 79. After 79, you need to be a real believer in the labor movement to continue politics mm. in that vein. Whereas if you if you're not just if you if you're a politician who is just representing the movements that you think exist, there's very little for you to represent in terms of a robust labor government in nineteen eighties. That's how we get Blair. So what you're telling me is that this is this is Neil Kinnock's fault. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And it's the same in the States. I mean you have Ronald Reagan coming along promising a kind of like a self, uh the restoration of like a powerful self, an American self, and uh and it completely transformed politics because uh, it destroyed the left's like argument, basically, uh, because it, it hadn't been making a leftist argument, uh, but it, it, it essentially sent it into disarray and changed politics forever, shifting the Overton window and everything. But he, he was the first to be like, you're going to be powerful. You're going to be great. Like, we're, we're going to win with me. And, and so Kilroy Silk is one of these guys that really takes that on board. And that's why sort of he so easily blends into UKIP, which is all about pop, which is even at this point after sked left is just this bubbling bubbling cauldron of various kinds of poorly thought out cultural grievances against an institution that again as alice said is dog shit and should be legitimately criticized but for its terrible economics not because of just some stuff that like the telegraph yeah made not, not because it's making you be a, a, like a, it's making you wear the gay blackface as an Amer- as an American, like watching the elections, it was fascinating to to see kind of Corbyn be accused of wanting to do Brexit, like it was like a racist stance, and then he was waffling a little bit around it or being kind of vague. I, I get it, like it- it's true. the The right has completely hijacked what should be uh uh what should have like a solution on on the left side as well, right? Like we we, mm, we should yeah. have. He, he never had a our, chance. Yeah, our anti EU party. You know, I do wish I do wish that American politicians would get into more fist fights, though, on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Can I I interest you in Serbian politics? I think that would be really cathartic, like for our entire country as a whole. If you know, people just watch Devin Nunes just get you know punched repeatedly in the face over some wooden table. Before before the Civil War, it used to be like this. Um, Elihu Root, who was the uh, the the senator from New York, immediately prior to the Civil War. 
uh, once ended up in a fistfight in the Senate, standing on top of a desk, threatening to <laughs> brain anyone who came near him with a spittoon he had grabbed. Oh, see, that's classic America. No, we were British still. Like, like when we became American, we became more peaceful. And, um, and terrible, good. terrible direction for the country. I say go back to the violence. <laughs> when they got rid of the spittoons, that's when it went wrong. Yeah. yeah. Robert Kilroy Silk, he's famous. He's got uh, the world's most tanned man. He has multiple daytime TV shows. He's in the, he's in the papers all the time. Um, what do you, he then wrote a, a column for the a tabloid called the Daily Express in 2004. Uh, mm. And he said, the Arab states murdered more than 3,000 civilians on the 11th of September and then danced in the hot, dusty streets to celebrate, <laughs> adding that the despotic, barbarous, and corrupt Arab states were populated exclusively by suicide bombers, limb amputators, and woman repressors. Cool. The three and, jobs and what, you going, can get in the Arab world. <laughs> going further to say they should go down on their knees and thank God for the munificence of the United States. Few of them make any contribution to the welfare of the rest of the world. Yeah. Now, the weird thing is... Wow. If you wrote that same column for the Express now, uh, you'd probably, I don't know, probably get some extra money, maybe a promotion in whatever yeah, you, political you, you'd party get, like, you're some in. kind of a prize, right? You would God. be, like, shortlisted for something. But, like, no, this is, this is the problem with, uh, with Kilroy Silk, right, is that he's ten years too early for everything. He's ten yeah. years too early to do socialism, and then he's ten years too early to do daytime TV particularly successfully, and then he's ten years too early to get to the, like, uh, just straight up race war stuff, and then it's, it's like ten years too early to get to Trump. It's it's a tragedy almost, dude. So wait, so this guy though, he thinks like during uh, a Muslim prayer, uh, people are gonna get on their knees and instead of <laughs> they're just gonna switch to the United States. Like, fuck. well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I could do that. Pray yeah. to Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm I, I'm literally I'm putting off praying so I can record a podcast with you nerds. So like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> people are praying to Allah, but where are the people pray praying to Wendy? <laughs> yeah, right. So here's the thing. What what Kilroy Silk did was he defected from UKIP after being turfed, basically, to form a new party called Veritas, which mm. took nearly two-thirds of UKIP membership with it, but was then completely annihilated in the polls. Because again, Alice, as you say, Robert Kilroy Silk was baby basically 10 years too early yeah, on all of these insane no, right No sense of timing, but like, I feel like you can look at the career of Robert Kilroy Silk if you're ever confused about what's going to happen next, right? It's the thing that mm. he's currently doing is the thing that's now going to be a, the, the next yeah. thing along. Yeah, in he's 10 years, there will be a project called Project Veritas, and one young man will dress as a pimp. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To take down three, acorn. Three <laughs> small boys will stand on top of one another inside a giant <laughs> inside a giant suit, pretending to be a journalist, pretending to be someone who who who, who can't get access to the vote. Mm. Fuck, I hate it. Ver oh, Veritas so. is such a fucking shit name for a party, too. Yeah, it's it's just so like, there was another yeah. party called. There was uh. another party that only exclusively had membership of like dads in the home counties, and an ex-girlfriend of mine's dad from the home counties was in this party called Libertas, which was very similar. Oh God. yeah, what do the people love to vote for? Latin. Yeah, Latin. <laughs> Latin hat. is essentially so creepy. Like you would just like not select it, like because uh, I mean, as as a complete rando, you walk in, you see a Latin name, you're like, okay, not gonna vote for that. Obviously, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, unless, of course, you're in ancient Rome, in which case they'd be like, "Well, <laughs> well this is totally this normal." normal time to pass my vote. <laughs> the joke doesn't I make sense, sense anymore. Greek name parties. Yeah, <laughs> uh, got anything? Got anything in, in Minoan? 
(laughs) (laughs) So basically, um, in 2006, after two more leaders, Farage then takes over. And that's when UKIP, its transformation from Sked's vision into essentially Thatcher's vision is complete. Mm. Who is is Nigel Farage? So Nigel... Ged's vision just sounds like an aborted like '90s <laughs> games console that was invented by fucking Alan Sugar. Yeah, it's, Cl- it's like Clive Sinclair's Virtual Boy clone. Ged's <laughs> yeah. vision. So basically, <laughs> Nigel Farage is a is a currency. It was a a a privately educated banker. Mm, Dallas um, College represents. Who was an, a, a, an original in Alan Ged's coterie? So it's not like UKIP was this like wonderful left wing institution. You know, it was it was always weird and fractious, and everyone in it hated everyone else the whole time. Cool. Um, but so Farage, but Farage was this guy, this finance guy, who saw the opportunity um, to basically continue Thatcher's project that he saw as forestalled by Blair and paused by European integration. Farage for the Americans, like we always just see him like in his kitchen watching like a tiny television, looking day drunk with like a red face. And then we for, we, we forget mm. his name because he's too depressing to actually remember. Like he doesn't have any of the characteristics that make him a funny buffoon. He's just depressing. Yeah, he's just jacking it to the queen, but he can't even watch videos of the queen because that would be rude. So he has to my, use his imagination. Yeah. My, my, fa- my right. favorite fact about Nigel Farage is that when uh, he was at Dulwich College, they first of all they tried to stop him from being a prefect because he was too fascist, which is just an objectively insane. Sane, like th- that's like trying to stop you from being a cop because you're too racist, right? Yeah. And then part of the reason why they decided he was too fascist was because when he was in the cadets, he led a, a route march through a bunch of like small villages, fucking singing Hitler songs, like he was what? doing the horse vessel. Nice, leads. oh my Genuinely god! Genuinely true. On God, that is it is in the Independent and the Times. You can look it up. That that is who the guy is. So, I'm just kind of kind of wondering why people don't look to like a second like you're going to you're going to play Hitler that's like putting the Beatles on man like can't you find a, a lesser <laughs> yeah. fascist be, 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 do like some iron guard shit doing a more obscure kind of fascist <laughs> yeah. yeah. proto fascist mm. that's yeah. that's great yeah, it'd be it'd be more funny if for if uh, Farage set up like a dead poet society in Dulwich College, but for reading the work of Marinetti. <laughs> oh, Fiora, my Fiora! <laughs> just standing on a desk reading Ezra Pound. Yeah, it's a film school that just only watches black and white German movies from a certain era. Yeah, that's right. So basically, Farage described David Cameron as a quote socialist whose priorities were gay marriage, foreign aid, and wind farms. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there were his politics. <laughs> Love you know. to get gay married on top of a wind turbine. Like David Cameron, mm. one of the architects of austerity, is still described as a socialist who just wants to, like, you know, do cultural degeneration on um, on Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, David, David Cameron uh, organizing, turning uh, Jolien Morm's garden into a wedding chapel for just to annoy him. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, and Cameron referred to UKIP as fruitcakes, loonies, and closet racists. And I'm like, mm. closet? Mm. Um, so that's sort of what, that's where we are now. UKIP is, is, is secure, is, is its transformation from a Eurosceptic party into the political wing of whatever fringe right-wing tabloid belief is in yeah, Britain it's, it's, has now been completed. It's, yeah. it's the political, the armed wing of UKIP at this point is Fathers for Justice, right? Mm-hmm. It's, so you're, it, you're saying this is, yeah, 2006, 2007. I didn't even know it was this early. I think it uh, kind of came into our, like, international eyes a little later. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but at this oh, yeah, point, they're still like a, a really long time. Yeah, exactly. They're an <laughs> yeah, also right. ran. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, we're gonna we're gonna see the the circumstances that lead them to become a big party because right now they're still fringe. They're still very much fringe at this point. Um, so after two thousand seven, we have the Treaty of Lisbon, which is not as relevant for uh, domestic policy as sort of the previous treaties were. Uh, I could do an entire hour on different European treaties, but. Uh, suffice to say that Lisbon was all about Riley's Edinburgh show. Yeah, that's right. Come to it. Uh, Riley's to Commie Lisbon, Treaty Club. Lisbon yeah. was about increasing uh, political federalism and a greater acquis for uh, foreign policy and security. So it was yeah, the that, that, that was the one that had security policy. Th that was the one that had the um, ever closer union thing that terrified all of these people, right? Uh, yeah, but it had but all, all the stuff that um, actually created the economic functioning of the European Union sort of got like, kind of laid down in Maastricht, clarified in Amsterdam, and then... Um, Lisbon is just was... like, what if we just had cops together? Yeah, Lisbon is said... Why aren't they going to do the Treaty of Versailles but for blaming someone for 9-11? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Lisbon, Lisbon is about common foreign security policy, but also does uh, express a common desire for ever closer union. Um, we're just going to do some economics together, and if our lips touch, mm. would that be so bad? Yeah. <laughs> so that never really pans out because of what happens the final, the next year, which is the financial crisis. Oh. So this is where Damn. social Europe dies its final death, even though it's been gone for a long time. And what we then get is ad hoc interference in domestic politics in the Eurozone. So that's the different from the European Union, the currency area. Uh, mm. It's a, in the Eurozone periphery. So that's Italy, Spain, Greece, etc. Uh, to address the financial crisis while simultaneously maintaining a low interest rate and avoiding any fiscal transfers and hardening Europe's external borders as the, uh, as the senior leadership of the European Union basically realizes that right-wing populism is inevitable and that the way that you keep your union without causing you to have to like get, give, make the Germans give anyone any money is to just let people do more and more and more racism. Yeah, real Martin Schultz hours. No, you have to picture this as like... Angela Merkel with like laser eyes. That's like yeah. you, just like zooming outwards to like a gigantic Merkel. French yeah. President Jacques Twingo. <laughs> so this is the so this is where the forces of like reactionary fascism in Europe get kicked back into overdrive as the response to the European financial crisis. But we're not in the eurozone. The UK is not. It doesn't use the euro. It uses the pound. We're in the swing and zone. So we. <laughs> so what happens is we have a different scandal the following year that is not as widely known outside of Europe. In 2009, we have the European, sorry, the European, the UK parliamentary expenses scandal. And this is the moment when politics came back into the country and the small parties, including UKIP, surged to begin receiving big shares of the vote in European level and local level elections. Duck so Alice, house, you want to just... house, duck house. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll... Alice, can you tell us all about the expenses scandal? So, yeah, no. The, basically, MPs have a very, very generous, uh, or certainly at this point had, a very, very generous system of grants, uh, whereby you could expense uh, you could expense pretty much anything you wanted on the basis that it was a, a parliamentary necessity. And it would all just go into a file that no one ever looked at, and there was no oversight, and that was cool, right? Uh, until one day, the Daily Telegraph looked in the file. And this was very bad for everyone, because when you looked in the file, it found things like, ah, I have expensed, like, 
a three-pound sandwich, or I have expensed a sixty-pound upgrade to first class for a journey that I didn't really need to take, or the biggest one, I have expensed to the taxpayer building a new duck house on the grounds of my mansion for ducks. Duck. What was a duck what house? The, what? <laughs> a duck house is a little house for ducks. Is this yeah. a thing in England? <laughs> You guys I mean, are fucking sick of duck, duck House is the slob it's, fraternity on the grounds of the like a hen house? Do they make eggs? Was is just just convenient for the ducks? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a purely <laughs> ornamental duck house. You have a you have oh. your big house, and then in case you worry that like the ducks are maybe getting rained on, which is not good for a duck because ducks' backs are famously water absorbent. Yeah. you you get a little uh, you get a little duck house, and then it, you bill that to the treasury. So basically, Tony Soprano was getting in a lot of trouble about this. Yeah, you know, no, you know what this yeah. is? You know what this is? This, this whole scandal was very much the bit in Uncut Gems, where the guys grab him and they're like, I heard you got your fucking pool resurfaced. Right? Yeah. It, oh, yes. It was a series of extremely dumb guy expenses, with, which then became immediately a huge scandal. Yeah, yeah, as they rightly should have. Wait, and so yeah, what yeah. happened? Yeah, only it's rare. It's usually Scandinavia that'll fire a fucking guy for like a single like meal that they expensed wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, but they didn't get fired necessarily because yeah, this was just common practice. Yeah. It only it only became a problem when people began to realize that the MPs of the country were basically like expensing literally everything they could. I know of one guy. Yeah, got it. Uh, he actually did get his swimming pool resurfaced. Fuck off. Um, no. As a result of this. Yeah. yeah. There was yeah. there was one yeah. was it was it Yvette was it Yvette Cooper who claimed that she was paying rent to her sister to like live in her broom cupboard? But it was this, what is she like Harry it Potter? It was this kind of thing. It was <laughs> yeah. this kind I, of I thing. Cannot, I cannot like the duck house thing is like scratching the surface, right? Like we yeah. cannot yeah. express how much the entire political class of this country were caught very openly just yeah. taking the piss. Yeah, just taking the money, <laughs> just with a hand right. in the bag. <laughs> Although, to be fair, very unusual to go around the Houses of Parliament opening yeah. random secret files and not find child pornography. So some good <laughs> yeah. news there. Yeah, it's like, you, so, you have two identical manila files to publish. You can only publish one of them. <laughs> one of them says Elm Guest House, and the other one is pull the trigger on every single expenses claim. And you're just kind of sweating, and you're like, eh. yeah. and then you get the call from MI5, and you're like, well... Travis, to uh, to fully explain uh, uh, Duck House to you, Travis, I just want to say this: the, the Brits they they live in the Duck House uh, until the third repayment to Tom Nook, at which okay. point <laughs> they've reimbursed enough to move into a normal person house. Okay, that that I understand. <laughs> so, as a result of this, uh, what we get is a massive collapse in confidence in the main parties. Uh, in lots of different kind, in lots of different yeah, we're elections. We're still not seeing all of the ramifications of this yet. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. So the UKIP received sixteen point five percent of the vote in the two thousand nine European parliamentary elections. This is where the British National Party uh, is basically run out of town, and is which is an openly fascist party is no longer um, in in existence. And what's interesting is that people frequently say that it was having their party leader, Nick Griffin, on question time that destroyed it. And so everyone, everyone when trying to say that you ought to like have fascists on chat shows all the time says, no, you have to do it. Look, we had Nick Griffin on. He was embarrassed and the BNP was destroyed. But all that actually happened was the BNP was replaced by another party that had almost its same ideology. Also, mm -hmm. Boris Johnson uh, did exactly the same thing, but it worked. Like he, he yeah. went on those shows 
they thought he was cute and now we're married. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the BNP was replaced. No, wait, well, the idea, the, the BNP's political project wasn't ended by Nick Griffin going on question time. It's just it was replaced by some, another pol- party with the same project for an unrelated reason, <laughs> which is the, um, the European Parliament elections. Can we do one second just explaining to American listeners yeah. why the fuck the British uh, politicians go on like questions and answer shows like that? Like that just is not a thing that happens in America. Like questions time is something it comes up so fucking much in the history of your political class. I don't understand it. What is it? I'll be honest. I don't know why it exists, but <laughs> yeah. uh, partly it's because I mean, if you want to look at, at why you, it might exist, I mean, it, it exists for no reason that is helpful to anyone. It exists largely to generate headlines. Uh-huh. But the BBC is a public body has this has a job to edu- educate, entertain, and inform. <laughs> and so it saw its part of its role as providing the public as having insight into what politicians are thinking and give the public access to politicians. But um, the, the question time is now sort of more used to generate ratings and takes and controversies. Can so we get Joe Biden on like it? Jeremy Kyle. It's basically like Jeremy Kyle or um, Jerry Springer, but for people who went to Oxbridge. Yeah, but then all the questions are being asked by like, your dad. Like, mm. <laughs> every question is like, well, could I just ask the minister what exactly it is he thinks about the disgrace where the Muslims are taking the tax money and spending it on paedophilia? <laughs> <laughs> and then the government minister the re- is like, yeah. what? The really funny thing, right, is that um, Scottish nationalists during the referendum were like, hmm, everybody on the BBC and every single person asking questions on Question Time is clearly an MI5 plant. And it, like, if you weren't a Scottish nationalist, you laughed at them and you said that they were paranoid. And then they were just kind of proven right in an irritating way. And it just kind of turned out that, yeah, the whole thing was just like incredibly rigged. It's cool. It's sort of kind of like yeah, us in rules. QAnon, just slowly, slowly finding out that they have somewhat of a point. Yeah, right? Like, you don't want them to be right because yeah. they're annoying. But <laughs> it, it, it kind of. Question time. This is amazing. This is like. Spy shit. I'm. I'm in. I mean, later, obviously, once we yeah. get through this episode and we stop killing <laughs> you Riley. You can't spell question time without Q. I mean, the Scottish <laughs> National right, Party are a stopped clock, and it just so happens that the time that they stopped at is like the year 1200. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the name of that year, 1984. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So interestingly, in the 2010 election, uh, Nigel Farage decides he's never been elected as an MP. He's trying to get elected, and I think either Thurrock or Clacton. Um, and he decides Both to fly a plane names. carrying a UKIP banner behind it that says, vote for your country, vote UKIP. He went vote on anonymous people. Country. What? He went on anonymous people. What do you think happened next? Um, he attempted to fly a plane. I- I'm going to say the-, the word attempted means that he, he fucked up flying the plane. <laughs> Oh yeah, real bad. <laughs> Basically, the worst you can do at flying a plane is what happened. It's never that that's like never a good way to describe getting into a plane and taking off, attempting yeah, to fly fl- it. Yeah, flying a plane can only be successful or not. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not one of those like in between well, like I kinda fucked it up. Like it's yeah. you, you gotta uh, fuck was- it or you're, you're okay. Oh, no, there not. was a localized 9-11 style incident. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that uh, Roald Dahl survived his crash, but uh, also Farage. Like, this is bullshit. I, I, would you take both if, you, if you, we could reverse them both? I don't know. 
So what happened was that um, basically they just, I, I, I think they might have just like put the banner on really shoddily and hastily. So it wrapped around the tail fin <laughs> of the aircraft immediately after it took off, <laughs> leading to a plane crash. It basically just shook Fuck up. Off. Just shook up Farage. <laughs> Your country boat, you get, and they crash the plane immediately. It almost kills the guy. <laughs> oh, oh, them UKIP boys. What a, what a fucking yeah. clown show. Oh. Yeah. So basically, the only people who ever become UKIP MPs, with one exception, um, are Douglas Carswell and Mark Reckless, both of whom an amazing from the name. Tory party. A 10 out of 10 name for a UKIP MP. Mark uh, Reckless? At, Is that his real name? Yep, that's it. They both they were both elected uh, in 2010, and they defected to UKIP, and then in 2015, only Carswell kept his seat. Yeah, yeah. I'm Carswell really, had um, to change his name from Douglas Plains Bad after the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure about this. It does. If I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter because yeah, no, they the, were the, they were both defectors. I don't think any UKIP MP has ever actually been elected originally no, it, as a UKIP MP. I, I think Whoa. in 2015, Cars Carswell was. He was re-elected, but he was he was not. Yeah, there's been there's I mean. never been an original UKIP MP who stood at the yeah. start as a UKIP MP. Okay, so the three that, yes, the, the three that, people that, are right. called reckless. Carswell and Nutall. <laughs> yeah, well, Nutall comes later. Mm. Oh, the old Nutall. Oh, if you want to know, if you want to know something about Douglas Carswell, he still, uh, unfortunately, uh, is a journalist because this country I just got infinite columnists. Uh, but he recently mm. said uh, one good thing about the coronavirus is that it will return the bow and curtsy. Cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, I'm curtsying constantly. Yes, love that. Yeah. Fucking David Foster Wallace and Gromit over here with infinite <laughs> columns. <laughs> it, fucking, it fucking sucks that our our our, our entire society just has this just, has this fascist undercurrent running through it that's like basically based on Jeeves and Wooster. I fucking hate it's, it. It's mm. literally just like ooh, 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 I can finally appreciate the fact that I don't like other people's bodies and warmth and lives at all. <laughs> so basically, after at the 2015 general election, UKIP won 13% of the vote, but only got this one MP because they're popular, but they don't have concentrated support anywhere. Um, and because the because of this, they're always threatening uh, the Tories more or less everywhere. Uh, David Cameron always ends up having to capitulate to his right, which I wonder if that's a lesson the left should learn with regard to the Labour Party. Anyway, yeah. it was a shame um, he had that stroke. <laughs> yeah. So um, what happens is uh, David Cameron, in an attempt to try to get UKIP voters to vote for the Tories instead of UKIP, feeling threatened by Carswell and Reckless and Farage, uh, and promises the Brexit referendum. We all know how that goes. Uh, Brexit happens and Farage resigned Aww. in 2016. Uh, F's in the chat for the European Union. Watching yeah. a small TV in his mm. kitchen yeah. in the sky. <laughs> Oh, he's not gone forever. Don't oh, worry. He, he's he's staying well out of the sky, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you watch the is, skies. In the in the time since uh, the Brexit referendum, how many leaders? This is back for the Q and anonymous people. How many leaders has UKIP been through? I'll give you a hint. It's less than ten. Uh, Seven. Okay. I mean, I'll go for five. I'm going to say three. Eight. Ah, fuck! All right. Tra Travis, <laughs> Travis, the cynical realist, once again defeats us. <laughs> um, so, uh, Diane James is chosen as leader after Farage resigns 18 days later. 
Um, Paul Nuttall is then elected. Come on, man. I'm telling um, you, this yes. one is going to fucking break my brain. You can't add Nuttall to Reckless and Carswell. Like, it's not. Mm. Uh. And Kilroy Silk. And Silk. There's lots of great names in this Paul one. Paul Nuttall just one. fucking racist Rupert the Bear. One of the most amazing <laughs> yeah. men to have ever lived. <laughs> Uh, so what happens is it's relatively uneventful. Uh, in March 2017, uh, both UKIP M MPs uh, Carswell and Reckless defect again. Oh, um, and then after the 2017 election, which sees UKIP's share of the vote start to go down and down and down, not all steps down. Oh. And then there's another leadership election. Mm -hmm. So Anne Marie Waters, who's like an, an, an founded a group called Sharia Watch. Um, yeah, she she only <laughs> reads very the same nice. tweets. That yeah. rules, man. I'm was swapping out my Seiko. Yeah. <laughs> was ba almost became, basically said, if you don't make me the leader and bring my ideas into the mainstream of UKIP, because like you got Brexit, now it's time to finish the job, basically. Um, see, she uh, said she was going to take on the role, that if she wasn't elected, uh, everyone would have a mass walkout. But then, the people who were like, the people who were like, I'm racist and were supporting mm. her. And the people who were like, I'm not racist, but... Uh, we're, we're against her. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I personally, I think though that the Sharia watch was a great invention. It tells you exactly when to pray, when to not eat pork, all that good stuff. Exactly. So what happens is Henry Bolton is then made leader, promising to move the party away from the overt Islamophobia, and Anne Marie Waters breaks away to form another fascist party that was breathlessly covered by the media and more or less given again a false lease on life, which then died on the vine as soon as they like. Um, actually stood for something. I believe it was a Lewisham by-election. They got 1% of the vote in. But they got like 30% of the press coverage. Uh, anyway, it's then revealed that Henry Bolton uh, left his wife for a relationship with, and this is massive bridge end secret service areas here, left his wife for a relationship with an ex-model called Joe Marney, uh, who then sent out a massive SMS campaign <laughs> against Meghan Markle that's, let's just say, was widely described as extremely racist. Nice. What? Are we going to drop it in? Who Can you tell us SMS? what it was? You get people. Yeah, they love they're it. They're all yeah. old. Yeah, they're all old. They all, they all have the green they're bubbles. All old. I wouldn't even know how to begin to do a campaign like that. Uh, <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> it feels very funny, right, that I'm being... That as a pr after after this party wins, it, its raison d'être is fulfilled. Um, it, it 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 then falls into fractious infighting where just some just some bullshit about like the royal family and someone that the leader's having an affair with yeah. ends up causing another row. Well, that's the thing is like the, the, with these parties, they're basically like, let's let's get the lads together. We're going to go like hurt the people, the, the, the minorities. But then they get together and they're like, OK, we, we're here. And then they don't do the next part because it's illegal. Uh, and so they get bored and fight each other. <laughs> uh, breaking news, breaking news. Uh, Al Alice Caldwell Kelly has been kidnapped by uh, Q informants. Uh, or rather, her internet has been intercepted by a combination of the Gates Foundation and uh, that uh, bleach company that Trump likes. Uh, so she has been um, taken away and extraordinarily renditioned from this podcast. So we'll be completing it with uh, just the five of us. She was yeah. uh, riffing a little too effectively, and uh, we had to send in the Q team. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I'm so glad that so, uh, somebody I'll else got kidnapped for once, though, and not me. I'm kind of <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> so Alice has been kidnapped, but the rest of us soldier on. 
Uh, so this is pure bridge end Secret Service shit with Henry with Henry Bolton. Um, anyway, so a rocking conflict between UKIP's uh, leading committee uh, and Bolton led to Bolton being kicked out of the party, but then he refused to leave. So the members voted him out, and a man named Gerard Batten, a, Europe, a member of European <laughs> yeah. Parliament, was brought in. That fucking rules, Batten. Fuck, dude, you're all just I lo- called. I love Gerard Batten Batten's shit. films. He was awesome in Olympus Has Fallen. So, <laughs> Batten is where it gets interesting and where it gets very QAnon anonymousy because Batten had some very interesting ideas about how to keep the party relevant uh, and attract new blood oh to a group. Oh my god, I remember who... this. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no, this happened. Oh no. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. Oh, go on. So, Batten basically decides he really wants to turn up the. Uh, why can't we say radical Islam is a problem element of UKIP? And so he invites Tommy Robinson, Sargon of Akkad, Count Dankula, and Milo Yiannopoulos to be oh. members again. Yeah, he wants, wow. to make, he, into a he wants to make them cool, yeah. Uh, so we're back to the salient feature of our timeline. Is boomers becoming 4chan YouTube comment like Fuck's Pepe sake. trolls? I couldn't believe it when I saw... Uh, Carl Benjamin uh, fucking trying to run there and, until he got that milkshake right across the face, which was very funny. Tommy Robinson also mm, got yeah. the milkshake. Are Marcus and Milo mil- milkshake free so far? Don't know. Yeah. Uh, it was very, yeah, so very we, we lovely have... to watch the other two, though, just with their faces full of just white, white awful liquid they didn't want on it and uh, just kind of walking through crowds trying to get wiped off. Milo, my, Milo Yiannopoulos is a real bugbear of mine because he and I were, were at Cambridge at the same time and I get confused with him, like, not infrequently. No. Well, do you yeah, dye your not, hair? terrible, man. Do you wear man. furs a lot and dye your hair and blonde? No, it's not, that's not good. Worst. I mean, like, not, that, not that frequently, but it's happened more times than I would like. Oh, no. It's like when... It, I gotta imagine, it's, it's, it's like when people come up to me and I, and I introduce myself as Jake and they go, oh, Jake from State Farm. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Fuck you yeah, imagining oh, me Flores. in some plain ass khakis. Yeah. Like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> so with basically with this influx of YouTubers, uh, the party takes on an interesting edge. Now it starts basically posting Gamergate stuff on its various uh, official accounts. Because they have Count Dankula yes. and a guy who called himself Sargon of Akkad, which is an ancient fucking ruler that I only know because I play Civilization 5 and 6. Fuck! Mm. So this is uh, awesome. emails from Politico that I'm now reading out. Uh, this is the Batten era. So the new UKIP is part of the international freedom movement alongside the American conservative right, said Sargon. Carl Benjamin, whatever. <laughs> and they would consider themselves to be brothers in arms, despite the many thousands of miles that separate them. Again, yeah. in arms. You're just a, you're, you're fat YouTube guys that complain that the Boobs in video games are too small. But wasn't this the mm-hmm. uh, the time uh, or around the time that uh, Steve Bannon was trying to build a coalition? I remember him doing the, the rounds at this time and hitting you guys up for some support and trying to rally mm-hmm. in France as well. Yeah, I, I don't know if these... I mean, I think they're... Paul Joseph Watson, uh, who's also involved in this, and Count Dankula and Tommy Robinson, all these people, they're probably all getting hit up by people who want to, like, get their audience for a new conservative movement. Um, I, I don't think they were all working together because like yeah. Steve Bannon, you know, love him or hate him. Like he's, he knows when a spent, what is a spent political force? Yeah. 
And after 2016, UKIP is the definition of a spent political force. Yeah. I just, I'm just loving the idea of like them trying to bring Kilroy Silk back and just like showing him stills from like Dead or Alive 2 for Dreamcast and showing him the titties. And they're like, I, I mean, do you think these are too big, Robert? <laughs> uh, Watson said that the party is part of one unified effort to preserve Western civilization. And also no. add nudes mods to every ge- video game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which is all uh, part and of talk it. About, and talk about how, you know, uh, maybe if girls wanted someone to quarantine with them, they should be nicer <laughs> to nice guys. <laughs> yeah. And that's basically what UKIP is even now. That kicks like, so much that, ass. That's their party. So they wasn't went that, from like pub brawlers to whiny YouTube incels? Like, <laughs> don't, yeah, that's this right. party fucking kicks ass. Uh, what Riley, a mess. C- correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a phase where their de facto leader for a bit was Godfrey Bloom? Uh, I think he's always been a big player, but I don't think he was ever actually leader. There was an awesome period around, like, after Farage's resignation where somehow Godfrey Bloom was, like, the main, like, blustering force doing all the talking. And there was just this awesome moment where he was walking down the street with the UKIP manifesto like, at their conference and a bunch of journalists came up and they were like, why Why is that? Because there were like hundreds of people pictured on the front and they were like, why is there not a single like black or brown person pictured on the front of the UKIP manifesto? And he went, you're picking people up by the color of their skin. That's disgusting. And they started beating a reporter with the copy of the manifesto that he was holding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't leader. He was he like, wasn't better think quick. Mm. <laughs> um, he wasn't leader. However, but he was always a prominent figure. He was an M- other MEP. And so Gerard Batten says, I don't want to change UKIP. I want to take it to another level. I want us to be a populist party. Now, Batten uh, used to be a, a phone salesman who likes to wear loud pink suits. So yeah. he kind of is like Kilroy Silk, but without the charm. He's like the T-Mobile CEO. He's doing oh, like yeah. Keemstar yeah. shit. We're going to take oh, it yeah. to another level, so, baby. Uh, Basically, Batten then labeled Islam a death cult and brought in open fascist Tommy Robinson. Yeah, uh, and then for, and then it associated UKIP with the Democratic Football Lads Alliance, which again is a mm. fascist street fighting group made up of YouTube incels. Which again is um, a thing. <laughs> the Democratic Football Lads Alliance. Just every single time, it gets me. This is so interesting because uh, it's it, we can see what Robinson's been up to since uh, our episode uh, with Annie Kelly on him. But uh, mm. just last month, something happened to him. Huh? Look at that. Oh yeah, stuff keeps happening to him. Yeah, he's a bit, he's going he's um, going places. So basically, what we get is um, Gerard Batten turn like taking taking UKIP, which always was this thing, and then everyone in UKIP sort of humming and hawing about what he's doing to it. So it says uh, Robinson's appointment was uh, the uh, to, as a personal advisor to Batten precipitated the exodus of all the old guard. Um, he was never actually allowed to join because he's, he used to be part of the BNP. Uh, you're basically, if you've ever been part of the BNP, you're prohibited from doing more or less anything formally, but you're allowed to do whatever you want um, de facto. Hello, Mr. Um, Trump. Will you please take me? Will you please take me in the USA? They're trying to take my freedom away. Please. Yeah, he's, he's a refugee for, for the free speech. Um, and so basically, again, because you kept, like, especially, like, after the Kilroy Silk era, is all about never saying the quiet part loud and keeping just respectable enough. But as the country has gone right, what the quiet part is and what the loud part is, the line between those two things has always shifted. And so all the things that Robert Kilroy Silk was saying uh, got him booted out of the party in 2004. 
uh, like Gerard Batten or um, Godfrey Bloom would be saying in like 2016, 17, and they'd be considered the like mainstream of the party. The problem then was Tommy Robinson, who was just a little bit too far to the right. And so then there was this battle between the old respectable UKIPers, uh, quote unquote unquote, and the uh, whiny YouTube comments guys who were represented by like Tommy Robinson and, and Paul Joseph Watson and stuff um, over the soul of the party again. So Batten lost his European uh, uh, Parliament seat, resigned as leader, because, and then, but then ran again uh, as deputy leader with a, a puppet mastering a guy who was going to be leader who was in his faction, whose name was, and this is the best of the UKIP names so far, Dick Brain. Yeah. Oh my this is God. literally, for the audience, unbelievable. the word Dick and then Brain with an E at the end. There is no... This guy's name is Dick Brain. <laughs> yeah. The guy's name's Dick Brain. <laughs> another amazing add another one. Why add don't another you change, incredible change name your to the extended name. Yeah, it's oh. the extended fucking uh trash future QAnon anonymous universe. I'm sorry, but going into public the public sphere, politics, with a name like Dick Brain is the equivalent of that that fucking dream you have where you're nude at school or some shit. Like what the fuck, yeah. man? Change your fucking name. It's just, not hard. Just don't just don't go by Dick. Go by <laughs> Richard. Go, go by it's incredibly name. unusual in it's Britain literally... to go by Dick if your name is Richard. This guy wanted like, it. This yeah. guy wanted it. He wanted, he wanted to be it, Dick yeah. Brain. He wanted he like, it. There's, there's no it. other logical conclusion. Yeah. That's because because like the kinds of people who would fight over a party that's a spent political force <laughs> are the kinds of people with like the sheer just ball sack to be like yeah you know what my name is dick brain yeah, my name is dick brain do you want to have dick brain and in my and my <laughs> sister and my sister <laughs> my uh, vote yeah. vote dick brain just flying behind a fucking plane just ah uh, yeah. it's brain. crashing into a hill <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened what happened was that basically batten was like okay i promised i'd resign as leader if i lose my european seat which he did resigned and then said, okay, I'm going to run as deputy leader, and then my good friend Dick Brain is going to be leader. So the idea was to keep control of the party. Yeah. Again, why you'd want to do that, I have no idea. Um, Batten was then suspended uh, as a, uh, for his association with Tommy Robinson at all, but Dick Brain <laughs> stayed on as leader of the party for a little while until he then resigned himself uh, just before Halloween 2019, citing, quote, internal conflict and an inability to prevent a purge of good members from the party, referring to the party's decision to um, uh, basically add an anti-Islam faction and the, in UKIP called Integrity to a list of prescribed organizations. Integritas, yes. Integritas. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the, uh, f the manifesto of Integrity, and a party within a party that is the UKIP faction of the weirdo YouTubers. Um, Integrity was founded in August 2019 after the UKIP NEC undemocratically refused to allow Gerard Batten to put his track record <laughs> and vision for UKIP before the membership during the leadership election. UKIP members were not allowed to decide for themselves whether they wanted him as party leader. So in one stroke, the NEC destroyed party morale, caused an exodus of party members, invalidated the leadership election, and undermined the moral legitimacy of the new leader, Dick Brain. Wait, but, Integrity but, but, yeah. but right now you're trying Integ to sell your fucking party and you just spent a whole paragraph whining. <laughs> Integrity will encourage UKIP to broaden its remit beyond Brexit, speak hard-hitting tr truths to power without trimming, compromising, or bowing to political correctness, Ugh. fight for freedom of speech, promote patriotism, nationhood, and controlled borders, and challenge the anglophobic globalism of the political class. So just 
parentheses just crashing wow. down over here. Wow. Wait, so the elites, the elites you say are like, English. The elites are like, we hate English. Actually, we want to get rid of it. Do you know yeah. what we sound like to everyone yeah. else in the world? And actually, they're right. Yeah. Reestablish the state's relationship with citizens based on protection and opportunity. Confront the dirty, dirty smear merchants of the mainstream media. <laughs> oh, boy. Ooh, that is very Hulk. close to literally just drawing that uh, happy merchant yeah, name. I, yeah, I, yeah, they spelled it incorrectly. It's K-I. <laughs> <laughs> so, halt, halt state-permitted child abuse, including the rape of underage girls oh. by Muslim grooming gags, and the mm. promotion of LGBT ideology, uh, especially gender confusion among primary school children. So I wow. love it. They're just assuming that there's like state permitted child abuse. <laughs> I mean, uh, so gender confusion. Uh, uh, insist <laughs> insist that we can criticize Islam, uh, support the traditional family, demand the humane slaughter of all food animals, etc., 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 including mm. expand expand UKIP's social media reach alongside oh, yeah. heavy hitters such as Carl Benjamin, Mark Meachin, and Katie Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Katie Hopkins, heavy hitter. Yeah, yeah. more heavy hitter. So, taking Here's the thing. Taking drugs and going so, to the hospital. Enough of these gender Muslims, that's what I say. Didn't, so didn't Katie Hopkins the, literally take like a hard drug and then get admitted to a hospital and then get like deported afterwards and then lie about uh, it? Like, wasn't it elite, like ketamine or something? I, I, yeah, in I, South I Africa. Something like that in South Africa. Yeah, she's, oh, so you know, we need to get her in the party. We need to be, we need to be like her. <laughs> and she's only famous because she went on The Apprentice. Here's anyway. where the story comes to a close, uh, which is where we got to where we are now. So uh, everybody might want to keep uh, uh, a chart of these. So UKIP the party is suing former leader Richard Brain, <laughs> former deputy leader Tony Sharp, and former general secretary and one-time returning officer Jeff Armstrong. This is from... Um, Mm. An article about um, sort of tech and data breach news. I'll, I'll post that in there. Oh, he's Richard um, Brain now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, while these lawsuits are ongoing, as several UKIPers argued over the elections, uh, the NEC vote voted to suspend Jeff Armstrong and Dick Brain, and then Dick Brain suspended <laughs> the entire Armstrong NEC. And Dick Brain. And Come then on. the NEC was subsequently unsuspended by an NEC member they forgot to suspend, yeah. who then resuspended Dick Brain. I suspect that fascism <laughs> is literally attempt to make uh, attempting to make your history so ridiculous that no one will pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone is suing each other. Everyone's trying to suspend and expel each other. Mm. Um, and at this point, nobody knows. Who should have access to what systems at Party HQ? Everyone has called <laughs> oh, the police yeah. at this point to claim that they all committed different crimes against one another. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, dude. This is, this um, is the British dream, is that like you're just working with a bunch of guys called Dick Brain and Jeff Stretch Armstrong, and you're all, you're all just calling the cops on each other constantly. This is what the people of Britain want. They identify with it, and that's why they vote for it. Yeah, they, yeah they, that's right. They want to pull Stretch Armstrong's arms so <laughs> that's uh, not his name. so hard that that weird goo <laughs> not starts dripping out from under his armpits and he's unplayable <laughs> with ever again. We're very sorry for Jake, uh, but uh, yeah, you got you 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 have such beautiful politics. You know you know we have to go to QAnon people for names. This is funny. You just have yeah. it just laying out there, yeah, right? Just sitting right there. out there. Here's <laughs> can I say? Here's the thing. This is not the high point of ridiculousness of this particular uh, farce. At this point, everyone is suing and suspending and calling the police on each other. Mod um, walls! And, it, and at this point, a mysterious message is sent um, 
uh, over everyone oh, to everyone's emails, or at least some people's emails, oh, from God. the address reply at munge.cockington.com. <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you explain munge? Because I know like I know I know a few British awful words like minge, but I and and mung, but I don't know munge. What's munge? Um, I mean, a a munge is actually a computer. It's a computer term meaning to manipulate and combine different data tables into one. It just sounds like minge. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was was, also a a swear word. Okay. Yeah. No, it's it's almost is, but it's not. Uh, So. Here is the text of the email. Okay, whatever. Here is the text of the email that was sent by the people in the dick brain Tommy Robinson integrity faction, the people Mm. who are trying to kick them out of the party. Subject, your UKIP emails. On Wednesday, we legally got all your UKIP emails for years, ones from or to you, which, which you sent from outside of UKIP to anyone with a UKIP email. If anyone says we do not have them or did not get them legally, they are lying. This is why we removed the party secretary. After two days, our BB team will be reviewing the emails for evidence. And the useful parts can find their way anywhere, even to your neighbors. We know where you are. Think how much (laughs) you will lose. We give you a chance. By midnight on Friday 18, you must resign from UKIP and all your positions you claim in UKIP, sending the resignation to both membership at UKIP.org and action at integritypurple.com, who do not have any connection but can verify for us. Then we won't do anything. Once you betrayed the party leaders, you don't deserve pity, but we give you your choice. <laughs> okay, this oh, email wow. sounds like it was written by cats and dogs pretending to be <laughs> <laughs> pretend, <laughs> pretending to be humans to like trick them into like freeing them or to like uh, you know feed them right. feed them twice. <laughs> An unlikely alliance yeah. between cats and dogs to yeah. destroy UKIP. Is this is a bunch of YouTubers who are fighting to keep their friend club. That has not pulled above like one percent in years. So oh sad. my god! I love it though. Awesome. This is truly the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, we, we uh, you have eight, so- you have eighteen days. <laughs> um, this was dismissed as blackmail by a judge, and nothing came of it. Oh really? So, oh really? Nothing. Yeah. So now the the party was then has been passed through another several handfuls of different leaders, including a one woman named Mountain. Um, no, come and, on. Uh, uh, no, yeah. what it's do you now, mean? What's her full it's name? It's facing, and the part, I think Joe, Ma- Pat Mountain, I think. Um, <laughs> and the party is now facing, the party, as it has been since the um, referendum, is now basically almost certainly going to go bankrupt. Um, oh, no. And so, Sorry, having Pat faded Mountain from the poli- is kind of a slow burn. I'm still, still recovering <laughs> from that one. So, having faded from the political limelight, they now just exist to generate strange local news headlines. Here's two from the last month. The first, ex-UKIP counselor claims he was beaten up in a bizarre row over a popular grass verge. <laughs> <laughs> like a hilltop? Um, in what way is it popular? What's a grass verge? Like like is it like a patch of grass? or? Yep, yeah, so it was oh a patch of grass alongside a road that wasn't legally a pavement, and yeah. so he decided to plant a bunch of flowers on it, but people kept walking over them, and so he put barbed wire fencing around it, and oh then um, it got into a huge row Normal. where he was like yeah. pushed a little bit and then sent pictures of himself smiling, being like, I'm injured to the local paper. It just, I, not, no part of it is a scam. It just seems so seedy. Wait, wait. Fuck off with the next one. I just saw the next one. Please read this to me because this ex, is... Ex-U- 
ex-UKIP candidate admits to punching police horse in the face three times during riot after football match. (laughs) 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 They capitalized three. They capitalized three to be like, this this person did not stop after that second punch squarely (laughs) landed on that horse's face. No, gave that horse the haymaker. (laughs) <laughs> the, the fucking the silhouette the silhouette of a horse in an interview and it's like actor's voice and it's like i was terrified <laughs> so i just feel like i love ukip now because it just it's a uh, party that exists to like vent the frustrations of youtube people but also it's the party of people who like wake up every morning and put on a phony neck brace like it's just that kind of place <laughs> <laughs> like a phony um, neck brace and like one crutch with like a cloth around the underarm area. Yeah, <laughs> and it just it is all because of some like weird air like a like an airline scheme or something. It's it's yeah. it is the party of sort of just weirdos who always have twelve different kinds who think their adver- investments are diversified because they're in different pyramid schemes. Like it's yeah. these these guys. It's this is the party, and it yeah. was always like this. It's just that it got propelled to electoral relevance by a combination of the expenses scandal and the right-wing press. It was always this. We didn't give Reckless or Dick Brain a good shot, I think. <laughs> we got, give Brain a chance. Um, but I think <laughs> some that, brain, is I mean. our, that is our story of the strange journey of UKIP. I don't think uh, Dick Brain is done if he wants. I think he could come to America and probably yeah. do pretty damn good. Oh, for sure. Sure. Yes. <laughs> However, uh, conscious of time, I want to hand over to uh, QAnon Anonymous's Jake Rokitansky for the patented show-ending short story. Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I, read, I, I had read through the UKIP episode a little bit uh, you know, bef- before this, just trying to get some kind of idea of what kind of story... I could tell, and um, my my initial idea I was talking with Julian was to do like a a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels sort of like heist, um, uh, where where the Trash Future team uh, and the QAnon Anonymous team, uh, you know, partner up to sort of execute this like, uh, you know, this uh, what Guy Ritchie esque heist and steal the charter. And then I started writing it and I was like, man, I don't know jack shit about like London heist and stuff. And I don't have time to watch Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. But like, what is what is something I wait, am? Wait, wait, you've never seen it? No, I've seen. Of course, I've seen it. But like, I'm okay, not okay. recently and I didn't want to re. I didn't have time to revisit. So I was like, but what is something like recently, like a kind of heist thing that I can immediately gravitate to? And I was like, oh, I know. Rainbow Six Siege. You kept six. Siege. The hulking engine of the Renault Twingo sputtered and barked as Alice threw the aggressively styled muscle car into park outside a pair of massively gilded gates. Hussein peered over a large newspaper. The front page headline, Soup Debate Resurfaces After Caucasian Child Is Served Fountain Drink Filled With Broccoli and Cheddar Stew. Just outside the car, nailed to the white stone wall next to the large gate, was a golden plaque that read, Farage Estate. Riley was tinkering with a video feed from some sort of remote-controlled RC drone, sizing up the building's <laughs> interior. Let's go over the plan one more time. Yeah, someone already has selected the character that I wanted to be. All right, assholes, listen up. Alice pulled a pair of fingerless leather gloves over her hands and began to strap on body armor. Three simple-looking men in the roomy backseat of the Twingo leaned forward in anticipation. I'm going to say it one more time for the losers in the back, and that's it. So if you miss something at this point, it's on you. It's simple. 
We're in the midst of orchestrating a massive coup amongst the UKIP party. With their leadership in complete disarray, now is the perfect time to take over and restore the party to its original ideals of class consciousness. <laughs> but in order to execute a legal takeover, we have to be in possession of the party's charter. We know it's hidden somewhere in Farage's mansion. One of the men in the back, with a pensive expression and a mop of golden hair atop his head, seemed confused. But surely UKIP must have other checks and balances in place. Uh, seems like giving full control to whoever possesses a slip of paper would be problematic. Alice, not eager to waste any more time discussing some writer's made-up pseudo-political backstory, interrupted them all. We have to go in there and steal that charter. And we want you guys to do it for us. She looked at the three sheepish men in the back seat, Jake, Julian, and Travis. The one with the glasses, Julian, was running his fingers through a sketchy-looking mustache and beard. He smelled terrible. I'm ready, let's do this. Sounds good to me. How do I invert my aim? With a slamming of heavy car doors, the team found themselves standing outside a pristine-looking mansion. The Twingo's engine roared and peeled away. Comms check. The shortest of the three American podcasters was grinning ear to ear. Finally, someone who was willing to go the extra mile Ten when it seconds. came to Milsim RPing. Loud and clear. Alice's mic chopped in, issuing calm commands into their earpieces. We'll provide Overwatch from the parking lot. Get in, find that charter, and get out. We're counting on you. Before the words left her lips, Jake had taken off towards one of the compound walls, unsheathing a large grappling hook, throwing it onto the roof, and scaling up one of the mansion walls. Travis looked down at his belt. Grenades, C4, breach charges, too many buttons. He liked his shooters simple, like the original Medal of Honors. Jake was already near the roof, hanging upside down, taking pot shots at someone inside. Travis could tell by the piffs of red mist that Jake was slowly edging himself towards death and ultimately a critical mission failure. Back up, Julian said calmly. He unfolded a large plastic breach charge and flattened it across a clearly destructible surface. Breach! 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 Julian slammed his finger on the bright red trigger. <laughs> Behind the soft wooden exterior, a metal <laughs> barrier had been placed. <laughs> Julian looked absolutely stunned that his explosives had resulted in a dead end. Allow me. Travis stepped forward, wielding a complicated-looking device. He placed it against the metal plate and watched with satisfaction as a hot stream of molten laser cut a Travis-sized hole in the solid steel. <laughs> Travis and Julian stacked up, moving through the house, stepping over debris, hearing it crunch beneath their steel-toed boots. Alice blipped into their comms. Two contacts. First one. Kajoom! A spray of buckshot went rippling past the guys' heads. Julian and Travis hugged a wall. Through a small hole in the wall where the shot came from, Julian could see a small pair of pajamaed feet wiggling. The shoes were little curly booties with tassels on the end. Meanwhile, Jake stormed through the upstairs hallway, clearing each room one by one. He aimed his M4 wildly and scooted into a hallway down a flight of stairs. He burst into a room where Julian and Travis were standing triumphantly over a fallen pair of guards. Huddled in the corner, wearing his sleepy nighttime jammies, <laughs> was none other than Nigel Farage. His face was covered with tears and snot. Please, no, don't kill me. <laughs> Jake stepped forward and lowered his rifle. Don't worry. We're not here to kill you. A bullet flew out of nowhere, entering Jake's soft, misshaped skull and exiting through his cheek. He collapsed to the ground. Another shot rang out, piercing Travis in the neck. He dropped to the floor without so much as a sigh. Before Julian could process what was happening, he found his neck completely twisted backwards, looking directly into Alice's cold, dead eyes. With an unsettling snap, he crumpled to the ground as well. Hussein and Riley 
appeared behind Alice, each holding a fully kitted out sniper rifle, the barrel smoldering. Nigel Farage began to crawl backwards, his hands up in defense. Are you, are you here to save me? We're here for the charter. Where is it? Nigel looked down at the ground. What, did you kill them? Alice glanced at the dead bodies of Jake, Julian, and Travis. She shrugged. Didn't want them getting any ideas. Also, less witnesses. Nigel looked down at his trousers. A large pool of urine had begun to form within them. Well, it's about time someone came to rid me of it. At least you youngsters seem passionate about it. I flew a goddamn plane into the ground for this party. Nearly killed myself. <laughs> Riley was getting impatient. Where's the charter, Farage? Farage nodded and tried to gesture with his hand. It is where my loyalty has always remained. In the house. First floor. Inside of the... Uh, oh. <coughs> With a pleasant smile on his face, Nigel Farage fell asleep, mid-sentence. More urine trickled down his leg. Alice put her head in her hands. <laughs> the entire Trash Future Bravo team began tearing the house apart, looking for the charter. Riley poured through linen closets and under beds. Hussein dug behind dozens of cans of soup in the pantry, hoping to maybe find a flavor worth taking home with him. Milo was nowhere to be seen. Alice pulled the fingernails off of her kills and attached them to a stylish looking necklace casually hanging around her neck. Oh shit! Riley cried out. The three rendezvoused in the middle of the living room where Riley was holding up a large national front flag. The three looked at it, not surprised. Let's burn it. Alice said. She grabbed the flag out of Riley's hand and dragged it over to a fireplace where a roaring fire happened to have remained uninterrupted by the previous melee. She tossed it in the flames, watching it burn. All of a sudden, a light bulb went off in Riley's head. Where my loyalty has always remained. Wait, it's the flag. The charter is the flag. He raced over to the fire and pulled out the smoldering piece of cloth. He grabbed a nearby carafe filled with lemon water and poured it over the burning edges. <laughs> look, look. Riley exclaimed, where a few droplets of water had spilt on the body of the flag, a couple letters began to appear. Of course, invisible ink. Quickly, more water. Thinking quickly, he mustered up as much saliva as he could in his mouth and began to spit onto the flag. Oh, Both Alice and Hussein brushed over and also began spitting on the flag. The letters of the charter began to fade in. Hussein read them aloud. Hear ye, hear ye. Those who possess the party's first character assume control of said party's leadership and take possession of the founding member, Alan Skid's wooden train collection. Alice looked bored. After seeing that their charter is written on a fucking NF flag, I don't really feel like putting in the time and energy into all the rebranding we're going to have to do. Fun day, though. Riley and Hussein nodded. Uh-huh, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Hussein piped up. And it was nice to get rid of the QAnon guys. Although, I do feel a little bad about Travis. He has a daughter, you know. <laughs> they all nodded solemnly before stepping through the rubble and out into the sunlight. Alice, Riley, and Hussein hopped into the threatening-looking once again and peeled off into the night. Game, game over. Trash future. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for just five bucks a month. You'll get a whole second episode every week, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. There's over 70 of them currently. 
And when you sub, you help us stay advertising free and editorially independent. That's right. There is no one pulling the strings above us, Mr. Ben Garrison. So don't even bother drawing anyone in the rafters. You <laughs> can join us on Twitch, where we stream episode premieres, curated story nights, and a live rabbit hole descending with the QAnon Anonymous crew. It's at twitch.tv slash QAnon Anonymous. And for everything else, we have QAnonAnonymous.com, where you'll find a link to get merch, uh, as well as a bunch of free shit like access to the Discord community, great times, uh, the infamous Lost episodes, uh, where you can see me as a fully pilled man, and even music from our incredible soundtrack done by amazing musician Nick Senna. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. What's up, guys? My name is Dylan Wheeler from Educating Liberals, and last night, Twitter, Jack Dorsey deleted my account permanently, an account that I had worked on for over three years and had over half a million followers on. And you know what? That little coward would not even give me a reason why. Uh, what was it, Jack? Was it my tweets on vaccines? Bill Gates? 5G? You know what? Save your breath. Guys, I have no problem being the face of a class action lawsuit against Jack Dorsey, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google, all these corrupt social media tech giants. Uh, who are breaking the law, actually, because they really are. Under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, it says that they are immune to lawsuits because they are neutral platforms. But they are no longer acting as neutral platforms. They are acting as publishers who are deciding what content is allowed and what is not allowed. Therefore, their immunity should be stripped, and they should be held liable to lawsuits. That means the child porn that they allow, the death threats that they allow, um, the actual death videos, ISIS videos that they allow on their platform, they should be sued for all that and they should be held accountable. So like I said, we got any good lawyers out there, I have no problem being the face and leading the charge against these people because they're corrupt, they're evil, they're sick, and this needs to end.